Hello, everybody, and welcome to our podcast, Let's Talk About Foster Care and Adoption. I'm your host, Kevin B., better known as Skeeter, and we have a co-host this afternoon, Robert P.K. Mooney, author of A Foster Kid's Road to Success. We're going to talk about it. I'm going to jump right on in. How you doing, Robert? I'm doing really well, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Good, good, good. Robert's from uh, the great state of Utah. Been uh been out there a couple of times and was able to uh uh take that uh breathtaking view that you got back in the background there. So Robert, tell us about yourself. Uh yeah, so I'm a I'm a product of our social system. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in, in foster care uh, from the age of six until I aged out at eighteen. Uh, when I was six years old, uh, my my six siblings and I, so seven of us in total, uh, and our mother, we found ourselves in a battered women and children's shelter. And a couple of weeks of, of spending time there, the uh, state workers that uh, were there at the shelter recognized that my mother was, was too physically and mentally ill to be able to take care of seven children. And, uh, and so as a result, we were placed in the state's custody. And that kind of started my, uh, my journey in foster care. And uh, that resulted in me bouncing from home to home to home, uh, changed homes 20 times. 20 times? Uh, 20, yeah, 20 times from wow. the time I was six. Yeah, until uh, until I was a bit older, and um, and yeah, so the of the seven children, the three older kids aged out of foster care. Uh, I was the third, so me, my older brother, my older sister, aged out of foster care, and then the four younger kids uh, were adopted into three different homes. And so my two younger sisters were able to be adopted together, uh, and then my two younger brothers were adopted into two separate homes. And uh, so, yeah, I just, I grew up as, as a foster kid and, and people would ask me, you know, uh, what's it like being, being a foster kid? And I was going to tell you, it, 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 it wasn't awesome. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a interesting way of life, but by the time I had been in the system for half my life, so by the time I'm you know, 12 years old, it's life at that point for me. You know, I, I'd been in the system for, you know, six years. My father's uh, parental rights had been terminated. Uh, by then and my mother passed away from cancer and so um so it it was it was life and while i was grateful for my my younger siblings to be able to find permanent homes uh, and i and i wanted a permanent home for myself uh, that wasn't wasn't necessarily to be Uh, and so so uh, although i was legally free for adoption uh, Mm -hmm. that uh, that didn't take place uh, for me my older brother my older sister and uh, and so so we aged out and had to to find our find our way uh, in, in life without that permanent background, and uh, you know my uh, uh, the the experiences that we had when we were younger they they took our toll they took a toll uh, there was severe abuse uh, in in our home uh, both uh, physical and sexual and uh, you know severe neglect as well. And uh, ultimately, it was, it, was, it was too difficult for my sister. It, uh, it hurt. She just shattered mentally. Uh, she developed uh, disassoci- disassociated personality disorder. Uh, back then, they called it multiple personality disorder uh, and uh, took her own life when she was, she was 20. Oh, uh, and so I was 16. Uh, and I know it was just heartbreaking. So, you know, deal, deal with the loss of a mother and then my sister uh, after that. And, um, and then... And yeah, my brother, my older brother just kind of, you know, bounced around, made, made his way in the world as he could. He's had his uh, significant struggles in life. 
and my younger siblings, even though they were adopted, they, they, had, they had tough times as well. Yeah. Uh, the, the two girls who were adopted together, uh, they've done, done, done well for themselves. The youngest one struggled. Uh, she, she tried to take her own life. Uh, she was on her third marriage, I think when she was 22. Uh, and, um, and I went to go visit her when she was in the hospital, she was in a, a coma from her suicide attempt and mm -hmm. uh, went in the hospital and her husband was like, Oh man, I don't know what to do about this. We had a good chat and to his credit, he stuck around and to her credit, she figured stuff out. And so now she's, she's a healthy, healthy and a productive, uh, you know, productive member side of mother, uh, a business owner. She's, she's amazing. Uh, but she had to struggle through just a whole lot, notwithstanding the fact that she was adopted. Uh, and then my two younger brothers have both struggled mightily, uh, substance abuse issues, uh, very, very dangerous, uh, you know, uh, sexual behaviors, uh, significant issues with the law. Uh, it culminated with my, my younger brother, just younger than me, taking his own, or excuse me, not taking his own life, but succumbing to, uh, to a drug addiction, died, died of meth poisoning. Um, you got a bad batch of meth. I, there's no such thing as a good batch of meth, uh, but this yeah, but I got you. Yeah. And there was a particular yeah. lethal batch that took the life of several young men uh, in his community in Hawaii, and um, and so yeah, it's it, it the 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 aftermath of that kind of trauma and that kind of lifestyle uh, is is uh, it's intense and yeah, so well, frequently it's not so frequently it's not great um, for me. I aged out and. Um, and was able to take a different path. I but I got college. a question. In your book, you talk yeah. about living with your father. How, how, how yeah. were the dynamics after being out and then coming back to, to live with your father? How, how was how was that? Yeah, you know, so it was, it was it was fascinating. So we had a failed reunification attempt. Uh, shortly after my mother died, uh, the state sent all kids back to live with my, my, my biological father, which was just a massive, massive mistake. Uh, because again, he was the principal abuser and, um, and now, you know, our mother who was something of a protection, something of a protection, she's now gone. And it was a horrific, horrific experience. Um, and so it didn't take long for that reunification effort to fail. We were put back in the state's custody and then he, his rights were terminated. And the interesting thing is, is even if you come from a horrific background, your family of origin is still your family of origin. Roger. And so even though me and my siblings bear actual physical scars from the abuse that we, we suffered, we still wanted to be together and we still wanted to be home, the only home that we knew, as awful as it was with no food, uh, abuse, and just, just really horrific circumstances. You still want to be there. And so his rights were terminated when I was nine years old and uh, kids started getting adopted. Uh, and when I was 13, I lived with a family who's a great family, uh, but their marriage was falling apart. And um, so uh, they actually encouraged me to reconnect with my biological father, whom I had not seen for four years, seen or heard up from for four years. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons for that is um, my, my father's Native American and, uh, and they gave me to help, help me stay in touch with my heritage. They gave me a book of Native American myths for my 13th birthday. And in the book, it said that the, the person who submitted a number of the myths for publication mm -hmm. was someone who shared the same name as my biological father. And I was like, is this my father? Is this, I don't, I don't understand. And so it got me interested in thinking and wanting to connect uh, mm -hmm. to my heritage. 
And so when their marriage kind of fell apart, rather than sending me back to my social worker to go find a new home, they said, oh, maybe go connect with your father. And I did. He lived 400 miles away and we reconnected. And my older brother was actually living with them. Again, his rights had been terminated. Uh, so there wasn't a legal relationship there, but my brother was living with him as a 16 year old. And I went to go out and live with him. And, you know, there was a sense of home that I didn't have anywhere else. The circumstances were not good. We lived in a borrowed trailer up in the, you know, up in the mountains of Southern Utah. And a lot of people think of Southern Utah, like Lake Powell and St. George is this nice warm area. Mm-hmm. And it is, but up in the mountains, not so much, you know, it still gets really cold snow and, uh, you know, we didn't have heat. We didn't have, you know, we, we did have electricity. Um, but it was just, again, middle of nowhere, dusty roads, uh, you know, mile walk to a bus stop. If I missed the bus, I'd hitch, have to hitchhike 15 miles, uh, to get to school. And, uh, it, it wasn't a great situation. So, uh, although my father had progressed enough in his personal healing to not be physically abusive anymore, uh, there was still an immense amount of neglect and, you know, So as a 14-year-old and my older brother's a 16-year-old, we found ourselves alone in this trailer a lot. He had remarried, but his wife didn't live at that trailer. She had another trailer, you know, 15 miles down the mountain, uh, and he spent most of his time there. And so it was basically, you had two two teenage boys from very, very rough backgrounds with no supervision. And so anything that you could imagine, the kind of trouble you'd get into both with the law and other things and you can imagine you're you're right right i I don't go into details about that right Um, right. yeah we were we were wild you know lord of the flies sort of just crazy uh you're on on your own basically on our own exactly yeah and and then one day one day is you know my, my father uh was it was very very charismatic and so again he could get people to let him live in a borrowed trailer they would loan him cars to be able to use. So one day we're, we're driving up to the trailer in the, a, a, a borrowed car and he drops this bomb on me. And he said, he said, you know, Robert, I think it's time that we bring your younger brothers and sisters home. And by this time I'd been living there for a number of months and saw how bad it was. Right. Right. And I was like, uh, that's a bad idea. I think that and, work. Right, right, right. and he did not like that, right? He took that as a personal insult on his manhood or something. And he's like, well, why do you say that's a bad idea? I was like, we don't have food. We don't have clothes. We don't have supervision. But what's worse is my younger brother had already been adopted. And the other three were in the homes that would adopt them. They had permanency. They had lives. They had support. And he wanted to take them away from, I don't know how he was going to do that but he wanted to take them away from that and bring them to this. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I tried to explain as nicely and respectfully as I could, but the quickly the conversation delved, uh, it devolved into anger and then into rage. As we got to back to the trailer, I got out of the car and he followed me back in and inside of the door culminated with him trying to prove how much progress he made. And he just just yelled at me. He's like, why do you think I don't beat you and your brother anymore? And it's one of the only times he's ever acknowledged that he was physically abusive to to his children. 
And my immediate response was, because we're bigger than bigger. <laughs> yeah. Right. And yeah. so here's the situation. So at 14, I was five foot 11 at uh, 16. My, my brother was six foot one and a very, we were both very physically active, something of, you know, some, some good solid specimens. Right. Nevertheless, he was five foot nine, but he was a full grown man. And I didn't quite comprehend at 14 that there's a difference in physical power between a five foot nine full grown man and a five foot 11, 14 year old. Right. And so my response was, you don't beat us because we're bigger than you. And so taller, yes, broader, no, uh, bigger, no. And, uh, and so I think he took that as an opportunity to then now turn it physical and thinking that it was now justified to turn it physical. And so it challenged me to, to make it physical using some, uh, some very, very you know, inflammatory and you know, gotcha. yeah. you're just trying to make it, make it physical. And I don't know that I'd ever back down in a fight in my life. My brother and my brother and I had gotten in lots of fights, like together we had gotten in street fights. And I, I, I tell a story in my book, when I was first in foster care, a bully took a swing at me. I stabbed him. I, I stabbed yeah, him I saw that. Yeah, as, yeah. as a small child. So I, I was no stranger to physical confrontation. And in my, you know, immediately I'm like, oh yeah, this guy deserves it. Right. This guy, the things that he did to me, to my siblings, to my sisters, mm -hmm. all right. He deserves it. And he's literally asking for it. So everything in my being is wanting to physically lash out at this guy. And he's literally asking me for it. And as I'm about to throw that first punch, time kind of stopped for just a second. Voice. Thought <laughs> came to my mind. It said, "You're about to hit your father." And I just realized, for the first moment, for the first time, I didn't have to do what my body, what my trauma brain, my emotions were asking me, to, and what the guy across from me was literally asking me to do. I didn't have to do any of that. I could do something else, right? I could go to the back of the trailer. I could kick him in the neck. I could turn around and walk away. And that's ultimately what I decided to do is I walked away, walked to my nearest friend who had a phone about a half mile away and um, called the police and they came up and got me. And in process of time, I was back in foster care. And that was a watershed moment for me when I realized that I had the ability to choose for myself mm -hmm. so for so long, since I was six years old, right? Eight years of my life, I'm bouncing from place to place to place and I'm being completely reactionary. Uh, I'm a product of my trauma and I viewed myself as the victim, right? And for the first time I realized I didn't have to be reactor, you know, react, react, reactionary. I didn't have okay. to be reactive. I didn't have to do what people thought I should do by virtue of being this broken kid in the foster care system. And that uh, choice. I was, I, I was a horrible student. Um, and I then realized, you know what? If I want to do better for myself, I got to be a better student. And so I began to choose to do better. Um, I started doing my homework, right? I started, you know, turning in, turning in my homework. Uh, when I didn't understand what the teachers were asking, I asked for help. And almost overnight from that experience, I went from being a not a good student to a you know, very, very solid student. No change in my ability, but only a change in my understanding that I got to choose for myself. 
And, um, and so even though that time that I spent with my biological father uh, that year was horrific, I did uh, some you know, crazy stuff happen to me. And I did a number of things that I'm not proud of at all during that course of that year. I still view that as one of the most important years of my life because I was put in a, a situation where I had this, what could have been a very traumatizing event uh, again, going and having another physical confrontation with my principal abuser. Uh, and yet that there's a break where I could break that cycle. Uh, and so I'm grateful for the experience as hard as the whole thing was, um, because I learned a very, very important principle. And I was young enough that I could start putting it into practice. Uh, I was 14 at the time, and I started being mindful of my choices. And I, I made a lot of mistakes just because I knew I could choose doesn't mean I chose well, uh, I chose poorly repeatedly, you know, I screwed up a lot. I still screw up a lot. I know. Yeah, I know. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> you know, but however, however, they became my screw ups, right? They weren't because I was beaten as a kid. They weren't because I was taken away uh, by a cruel state system and bounced from home to home. They weren't because fate took my mother from the world. Uh, that's not why I made my mistakes. I made my mistakes because I had options and I chose the wrong one. Uh, and and as, as I, I learned that, I could start making better choices and better choices. And the first, the first decisions that I started to make to improve my life and choose a life that was different than the way I was raised uh, was to, to do better in school and get an education. And, uh, and so that's, that's what ultimately happened. I, I graduated from high school uh, and I went to college. Uh, mm -hmm. I got a, got a degree in finance. And uh, when, I was, uh, when I was 15, I realized that I was not gonna get adopted. And likely the first family that I would have would be the family that I created on my own. Um, and so I was very focused on being able to provide for that family. And, uh, and so, you know, what's something I could do to, to help me, you know, pay for a home and food and shelter and give, you know, a wife and children, the things that I wasn't able to have. Uh, I ultimately chose to go to law school and some people go to law school to change the world uh, mm -hmm. and be a, be a social justice champion. That wasn't me. I was there to make money so that I could take care of a family. That was my focus. Right. I got married. I got married and I have, uh, you know, five beautiful children. My, uh, my oldest uh, is, is a junior in college and, uh, and my youngest is, is a, a little baby that uh, we adopted uh, who otherwise would have gone to foster care from, uh, from the hospital uh, because of uh, you know, her mother's history. Uh, she you know, had lost another child into the, into the state system and this baby, because of the significant drug use and other issues, uh, was going to go into foster care from the hospital my wife and I were able to adopt her and she's joined our family and been such a, a blessing. Um, and so, yes, I, I went to law school, became a lawyer, was a very, uh, very successful in what I did. Um, and, uh, and really, really enjoyed my, my professional practice. However, people would ask me all the time. It's like, Hey, if you weren't a lawyer, what would you want to do? And I was like, Oh man, I would write books. Is what I do. I'd, I'd love to just, I love writing. I love, fantasy. I grew up, I, my escapism when I was in foster care, uh, everyone needs a place to go when things are really, really bad, right? And so I, I turned to 
to sports. I turned to music and I turned to fantasy, like, you know, books, Hardy Boys, you know, Batman, uh, yeah. comics, whatever, some sort of escapism. And so I, uh, I would love to just write books. Well, that profession that I chose while very, very fulfilling on a professional level and allowed me to, to support my family, it took me away from my family a lot. I, I traveled the world uh, in, you know, in my position uh, and became, you know, very, you know, uh, world-renowned in my, my field, um, but that took me away from my family. And for me, the whole purpose of me getting a law degree and, uh, and, and working really hard was to take care of my family. And I was able to do that. And then I, I realized that if I, if I didn't have to keep doing that so much, but I chose to keep doing it, mm-hmm. was I really doing it for them after all, or was I kind of doing it for myself? And, uh, and so I chose to walk away from it. Uh, I, I, uh, at the time, I was the general counsel of a publicly traded company. I went and told my board that I was going to hang it up and, uh, and go do foster care advocacy and write books. And uh, they were disappointed, but supportive. And it took mm-hmm. me about uh, six months, a year to, to find the right person to take my position. And, you know, when you're, when you're uh, you know, an executive of a public traded company, you just can't walk away, right? Roger, yeah. that's, not respond- that's not responsible. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to do it the right way. We found a, a great candidate to, uh, to take my position and uh, you know, worked, worked closely with him for a period of time. And then, then I stopped and I started writing. Uh, started working from home, uh, being with my children and writing. And my first book I wrote was the one that you, you showed before. It's called The Foster Kids Road to Success. Uh, my entire professional career, people would hear my story mm-hmm. and they'd say, oh my gosh, Rob, you've got to write a book. And, uh, and I, I'm sure you've heard that yourself, right? Um, and <laughs> and, uh, and so, so I, I started to write a book, but not that book not a book about my journey through foster care and how bad it sucked to be in foster care and change and change and change and change and dealing with loss and suicide and drug abuse and mental. That's not what the book is. It's not my journey through foster care. Instead, I thought, wouldn't it be more helpful if I wrote a book to foster kids, uh, to teenagers, especially in the foster care system, foster kid to foster kid. Hey, I know what you're going through. I get it here's what you need to learn and internalize in order to be successful after foster care. And so instead of a story of here's my life and how, you know, I was able to overcome, that's not it. It's all right. Hey, you know, buddy in the foster care system, right? You got to learn how to do this. This is really important. Here's how I learned it. I tell enough of my story so that the kids know when they're reading it, hopefully from the very first few pages, Holy yeah, crap, this guy gets it. Yeah, he gets connection. it. Yeah. Yeah, right. There's a connection. Like he gets it. And then it's an easy enough of a read. It's a fast read. It's not long. Uh, and there's only six chapters, six principles that I that I cover that they can say, all right, I can apply this in my life. And uh, oftentimes when people think of a, you know, a guy who's been a lawyer and mm-hmm. successful in business, you're like, all right, well, that's you. I could never do that. So I make sure that the kids know how much I failed along the way, right? You know, educationally, uh, I tell a story in the book where I was, I found out I was known to be the worst student that my seventh seventh grade English teacher ever taught in over 30 years of teaching. Literally the worst. Not, and how bad was I? I was so bad that five years later, she was still telling all of her students 
that that by name, call me by name. Don't be like Robert Mooney, who was the worst student I've taught in over 30 wow. years of teaching. Wow. Um, that's how bad of a student I was. I literally failed an entire semester of college. Yeah, an I saw that. It, did it, did yeah. anyone tell you the, uh, the cooks? You didn't want to tell them about that either. Yeah, I, yeah. no. Yeah. Yeah, I'm totally ashamed of that, right? Yeah. And so I want the kids to, there's enough of my story in there for the kids to be able to say, oh my gosh, all right, if this guy can do this, you know, guy who failed, the worst student ever, guy who failed, failed college, can go on and do things with his life. I can do that too. So I'm, I'm hopefully it's inspirational. And so what I've, what I've done, done now is I've gone back to my professional colleagues who, uh, you know, always told me, Hey, Rob, you got to write a book. I've gone back and I said, Hey, listen, uh, you know, you want me to write a book. I didn't write that one, but this is what I wrote. I told about it. And then I asked them, I said, Hey, I want to be able to give this to kids in the system. I, I don't want, you know, no teenager in foster is going to go to Amazon and spend 13 bucks on a book, a self, you know, help book, very, very few. And I don't want foster parents or social workers or, or advocates to have to pay for that because they have limited resources. And I want them to use those resources to help the kids in other ways. So will you, successful lawyer, you successful business person, work with me, work with me, buy these books, and I'm going to go get that in the hands of those foster kids. And so that's how the book gets distributed mostly. I mean, you know, several hundred have been bought on Amazon mm -hmm. uh, and that's fine. And I, I appreciate that. But the way that the books get distributed mostly is that, you know, people have bought uh, several thousand copies and now I go and I distribute that to, uh, to either teenagers in foster care, kids who've recently aged out or the organizations that serve them. Um, foster parents, when they find out about the book, they're like, hey, Rob, I've got two teens in foster care. It's like, let me send you two copies. Uh, and so that gets donated to organizations that serve teens in foster care and, uh, and the like. And now I just, I spend my time doing foster care advocacy. I, I speak to groups uh, across the country. Um, mm -hmm. it, you know, sometimes it's foster, foster kids that are in transition to adult living programs you know, trying to you know, get success for life programs, depending on what state they are, they call them different things. And sometimes I speak to groups of foster parents. Sometimes I speak to groups of, of social workers and caseworkers uh, to try to try to help uh, them understand what it's like to be a kid in foster care and what it takes to, to age out uh, successfully. And, um, and so that, that's what I do now. So instead of doing the, uh, the, the law thing, Mm -hmm. uh, which again was very, very fulfilling. I, I go and do foster advocacy. And that's what I do now. Outstanding. You got the six steps going on in your books without diving deep into them. What, what are the six steps? Uh, the, the very first step uh, is, is understanding that they have the power within them to do it. Now, I don't define what it is for them. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I would suggest to them, and I do suggest that I hope you're it includes developing lasting, meaningful, deep human connection. Because so many of us foster kids, we were deprived that growing up. Uh, we were deprived that because, you know, we had, you know, uh, counterfeit uh, connections with our, with our families of origin, right? Uh, abuse, neglect, being used by our, our, our parents. Yes, sir. Uh, and, uh, and so, so we've been robbed of those true, meaningful, deep human connections. Uh, and, and or because of our trauma, we didn't let ourselves have those deep, meaningful human connections. 
So I hope for, for kids that they, one of their it is to have those, those kinds of relationships. But the reality is they need to understand that they can do it, whatever it, it is, uh, whatever their it is. Because they've been told uh, that, you know, they've been they told by people like that they can't do it. They've been told by their teachers, you're the worst student I've ever taught in my life. You're going to amount to nothing. I don't know how many times a teacher told me that I was going to amount to nothing, right? Which is a shame. Uh, and so they've been receiving these messages and their traumatic backgrounds make it so they feel like, all right, I'm a victim. I'm a lifelong victim. And that's what it's going to be. I want them to understand that they can do whatever their it is, just as long as they know that they, they don't know that they can't. So long as they disregard what they hear from other people or what they hear from themselves. All right. That's very, that's very, that's very important. I call it self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, absolutely. So you constantly tell a person, someone that can't, 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 after a while, they stop believing it and they take on the attributes of I can't. And that's you, you just lost them. So that's yeah, absolutely yeah. correct. Once they start telling them themselves yep. and then they start believing themselves mm-hmm. that they can't, uh, that, then you've got an uphill battle. So I want them to understand the first step, know that you can do it. Right. And I share a story about what something I did that I had no business doing. Uh, and uh, to just to show like, listen, if, if I could have done something crazy that I had no business doing, you can do it as well. Right. Um, mm-hmm. the, second, the second principle, of course, uh, once you know that you can do it, is they have to understand their power of choice, their ability to choose for yep. themselves. Uh, and so I share that story about uh, being with my biological father where that just clicked for me. Like, mm-hmm. holy crap, I don't have to, you know, be this uh, aggressor in response to aggression. I don't have to be in a constant state of a fight or flight uh, that, that my trauma and my background would indicate I have to be in. And it feels like you have to be in it. If someone would have asked me, you know, when I, you know, in that second foster home that I was in where a bully took a swing and I stabbed him with the pencil. If someone would have asked me, I was like, well, why'd you stab him? I would have said, I didn't have any other choice. Yeah. And I would have been wrong. Uh, but in my mind, that was the only possible thing that could, could happen. Because I didn't realize I had this ability to choose. Uh, and so I, 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 I tried to instill in the kids an understanding that they truly do have the power to choose. And once you understand you have the power to choose, this is so important for kids uh, in the system. So important kids who've been traumatized. You have to guard that ability. You fiercely guard that ability. Uh, listen, I, other kids can play around with substance abuse is, issues, right? You know, may, may, maybe kids can go play around it and that sort of thing. And they've got the support at home that helps them pull out of it when they start moving into some sort of addictive spiral. But for us, who've had so much pain and so much neglect, it's so easy to turn to something that will numb that, that will take that away. But the problem is it then becomes something that robs us of our ability to choose. And so you've got to fiercely guard that ability to choose. And for those kids who are already in with substance abuse issues or uh, other sorts of mind-numbing, you know, pornographic, uh, you know, addictions, something that anything that gets them away from their pain for a period of time, I have to bring back to their pain and understand, guys, you got to feel this. And there are resources for you to get past that so you can reclaim that power to choose. Uh, so the third principle I teach them is that you've got to, you have to fiercely guard that power to choose. And if you've surrendered it already, 
go and get it back. There's resources okay. to help you get it back. Get it back now. Because if you're a teenager and you're dealing with substance abuse issues, it is so much easier to break that cycle than if you're a 30 or a 40 year old who's dealt with a lifelong uh, uh, Roger that. Of, it, it can happen. It's, it, it happens, it can happen, but it's so much easier for a teenager to break that cycle than it is uh, for a adult who's been living that for two decades. And, uh, and so, so I teach them that. And the next one, the next one is just to understand that they're not alone. Uh, kids in the system, one of, if, if there is one universal feeling that's nearly universal, but no, no case is the same, right? Every child's different and they deal with different kinds of trauma, different kinds of difficulties, but to be a foster kid is to be alone, is yeah. to feel a profound sense of loneliness. When you're the only person in a home with your last name, when you're the only person in your home with your skin color, there is a loneliness in an outsider, a feeling of being outside, you know, being an imposter, being a, a uh, invader, uh, just being counterfeit, right? The, those are natural feelings that come. I want the kids to understand that they're not alone. They're truly, they are not alone. And there is, is someone, something that they can go and reach out and connect to. And, and I point to the divine. People don't like to talk about God uh, and, and the like, but uh, I say, why not? Because that's at least something or someone that you can go and connect to uh, mm -hmm. until such time as you can forge those human relationships. Um, so again, tell them they're not alone, share experience about how I understood that I was not alone Notwithstanding, I was starting to make good choices. Uh, I still felt that sense of profound loneliness and, and, and loss. Um, those of us who deal with mental health issues, we know that. We, 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 know, we know solitude and loneliness better than we know really anything else. And so I get that. These kids get that. Uh, and I just want them to know that they're not alone. Uh, and, uh, and then... It's really, really important to, I, I teach them about what I call the law of reciprocity, karma. Uh, you, you, you reap what you sow, the law of the harvest. Oh, yeah. Kids who've had very little, mm -hmm. it's counterintuitive to go out and give, right? Because I've got so little, I got to take what I can get. Like if, if you've been deprived of food as a child uh, and you've known true hunger, when you have food, you know, we see this all the time. You start Boarding food. I, I did that myself, you know, Hey, there's food here. I, I'm going to sneak out in the middle of the night and go to the freezer and eat whatever I can um, because it's available to me. So kids who have been deprived often want to take for themselves whatever they can get. When in reality, there is a universal principle that if you are able to go and give of yourself, of your means, whatever it is, that ends up coming back to you. Uh, it, it comes back to you in, in fascinating and unpredictable ways uh, where you end up finding ways to succeed as you go find ways to serve other people, notwithstanding your want, right? notwithstanding your lemon. If you can go find ways, even if it's your time, it's your experience, if it's lifting other people up, uh, somehow you get lifted at the same time and you find yourself in a better position than you had been in your extreme want. It's a fascinating concept and it's counterintuitive. Uh, and so I teach the kids that they got to start throwing good out in the universe uh, yep. and watch it, watch it come back. I'm back. I, I, I'm a hundred percent on board with that and, and it works.
believe me, it works. <laughs> it, it's real. It, it's the craziest yeah. thing. I, and I see it more and more and more in my life. Uh, and I can recognize it for what it is. And then, of course, the final thing it, it's absolutely critical is education. Uh, if you're going to break the cycle of poverty uh, and neglect that you experience, you've got to get an education because the world's going to pay you largely what they think you're worth, right? You need to go and develop skills that someone's going to pay you to do. Uh, and whatever that could be, right? right? So I ended up going into college. College isn't necessarily for everybody. And I don't tell you, hey, you got to go to college. Right. Uh, but you do have to go and develop skills that people will pay you to do. Right now, I've got a 14 year old son, and he does not, he is crazy intelligent. He hates school. School is not his jam. Uh, and so getting to do, you know, assignments, not his thing. Uh, but he's, he's doing it, he's, he's getting by in school. But what's he also doing? He is developing immense skills uh, in other areas. He started, he said, hey, I would really like to forge. I'd like to blacksmith. I'd like to make knives. And so he makes knives. And guess what? People pay him to buy his knives. People wow. pay him to sharpen their knives, right? So he's getting skills that, again, not your normal school path, but he's right. getting skills that people are willing to pay for. And that's how you support yourself. And so I tell the kids, you've got to get an education. And you know, statistically speaking, the more education you get, the better off you're ending up. And to, you know, listen, again, I'm not saying everyone needs to go get advanced degrees or whatever the case may be. That's not for everyone, but an education is for everyone. And you foster kids, you've got to go get an education. You start now. And you're going to be like, but I'm a really crappy student. And I said, yeah, I get it. So was I, right? Worst student ever, failed college, right? I get that, but start now. Uh, start now to be a better student. Start by using your principle of agency, your ability to choose to start doing your assignments, start turning them in uh, and, and start seeking help uh, where you fall short. And then you can go get an education. There, there's opportunities to get, uh, you know, one of the things that the benefit now that wasn't as much when I was younger, and there are a lot of programs uh, that's, that kids can take advantage because they were in foster care, because they were adoptees, uh, gives them, you know, people recognize that they're, um, you know, they've got the decks, the deck stacked against them. Yep. And so there are opportunities for them to, to now get education and they just got to go look for it. Uh, Google's their friend, got to do the work, go find, find, uh, find ways to, to get your education paid for. Uh, you can do the sweat method like I did. Um, you know, I, I was able, fortunate enough to, to, to compete for and get some scholarships, but I worked my entire time through, um, through my undergraduate. And when I was you know, so in college, I was working 20 hours a week on top of taking heavy credit loads. When I was in law school, my second and third years, I worked full time while in law school full time. That's frowned upon by the law schools, but it was the way that I could make, you know, pay, you know, at that time I had a son, I was married, I had a son. And so to pay for my family, it was important for me to work. And so I worked straight through and, you know, that's, stops working you know 40 to 50 hours a week plus going to school full-time and having a, it's it's crazy but what i would just tell myself is like all right i can do anything for x period of time i can do anything for a year i can do anything for two years whatever it takes and sometimes i got to break that up minute by minute you know like right now i'm trying to get myself into better physical shape uh and and when i'm working out really really hard sometimes i'm telling myself I can do anything for 60 seconds. And that's what it's, sometimes that's what you got to break it down to, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can do anything for 60 yeah. seconds. 
You can do anything for a week, a month, and uh, and these kids can get their education. So those are the principles. That that's that's what I cover in my book. Yeah, yeah, um, Robert. Um, like I said, I read the book. Um, those that don't know the name of the book, here's the book right here. Uh, got there. It's a shade there. Foster Kids uh, Road to Success. The, the biggest thing I got out of the book, and it hit me like, because I, when I do my little motivational speaking stuff, you know, prior to the pandemic, I used to tell kids and individuals, you have a choice. Being a foster kid, you have to stack already up against you, no doubt. You, you know, you, you've been beaten verbally, physically, mentally, sexually. You just, you know, sometimes you just wonder how you can even function. And you have problems sleeping, you have nightmares, you have all these different things. But when the smoke clears, you still have the choice to stay in that predicament or to come out of it. And it's not going to be easy. You know, uh, like you said, you know, we have choices to, you know, uh, whether it's uh, you choose the right girl to marry or you wind up going through divorces or whatever. It's, it's going to be always something challenging and it's going to knock you down. I always say you learn from your failure. Sometimes failure is good because if you fail, you wouldn't know how to succeed. So you appreciate, you know, the bad stuff to, uh, you know, to understand the good stuff, you know. So it's like, you know, the karma thing, you know, yin-yang thing. So, you know, um, <clears throat> choice is the is the biggest one that I got out of that and and to me when you get the choice and you make your right decisions eventually all the other stuff will fall in line when it comes to education or with me education was military you yeah. know I, I hated school oh god I hated school I was an average student you know um but you know um I wound up joining the military and then I wound up going to school and wound up getting my um you know my master's degree eventually um, but you know, that, that's the vehicle that helped me. Everybody has a vehicle that they have to get on to help them navigate their journey, you know? And yeah, I, like I said, I really appreciate the, the reading your book and I'm going to push it because, you know, a lot of kids out there need to know foster kids, especially the ones, like you said, that are growing out the system, you know, yeah. they just, you know, they don't have no tools. It's just, all right, we're finished with you and, 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 and how you navigate that. And then the first thing we want to do, we want to get on them when, you know, they rob a store or something happens or something negative, you know, and, but we don't want to stop the problem or the issues before you even start to go. We don't give them no tools, you know? And so um, right. this book I see is a, a huge tool, a huge tool that um, not only just foster care or adoptees, but uh, a normal uh, quote unquote person that has a quote unquote normal life. They can learn from that too, you know. Yeah, my, my editor, she was going through it, one of her comments as she was getting to like a fifth chapter. She was like, she put this comment in in the notes. It's like, wait a minute, Rob, I was just thinking, doesn't this apply to everybody? And I'm like, it, it does, it does. But I wanted something special because foster kids have so little to call their own. Right. I wanted this book to be theirs. Uh, right. Foster kid to foster, foster kid. Uh, so I appreciate it. And, and uh, also thank you for your service. Uh, I mentioned I mentioned military service uh, as a possibility to meet two of those uh, things that I, uh, I shared. Number one, you're serving. So you get the law of reciprocity in your favor. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think that's amazing. And then it gives you an opportunity for education as well. So mm -hmm. yeah, thank you. Thank you for your service. I and I know it's not for everybody. No, it's not. Um, but it, 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 I thought it wasn't for me either. <laughs> but but uh, I love it. I love it. I appreciate uh, the, the the people the people that do. Uh, and for foster kids, it's it's the way to go. Uh, there's a young woman that I've been mentoring 
uh, the first first person who got my book who was not one of my own foster children. I, I don't think I said before that my wife and I became foster parents as well. Um, but the first my, the first people I gave the book to were four of my, my last four foster placements before the book came out. And then they'd moved on and gotten adopted by a family and I gave that to them. But the first person besides my own foster kids who got the book uh, was, was a young woman in Florida and uh, she's, she's doing everything right. And she's, she chose to use the, uh, you know, the, the opportunity to get her scholarship, her school paid for through serving in the military. So she's in the ROTC program. Um, and even though she's doing everything right, it's still hard. Uh, and so any support we can give to kids in the system, kids who are aging out, uh, is, is needed and it's appreciated. So I appreciate your support. Uh, if anyone wants to help uh, in, in that cause, they can go to my website, uh, robertpkmooney.com. Uh, there's a spot in there where there's a, you know, you can link to go to a nonprofit organization called the Christmas Box International. It's been helping foster kids for over 25 years. Uh, you can go donate funds specifically to purchase the book and then the, you know, purchases copies of the book and I get it distributed out. People can go buy it on Amazon. That's, that's great. And, and that's fine and all. Um, but uh, the way that it's making the most impact uh, is, is for those donations to come to the Christmas Box International. Uh, and for those books to get purchased. And then I, you know, I send them, uh, you know, when I speak to groups of kids and I get requests from uh, Los Angeles County all the way down to Florida to New York. Uh, I think so far the copies of the book have been, been sent to 18, 18 states. Uh, and I love to a copy into every one of the teenagers that are in care uh, so that at least they have that opportunity to, to utilize it and hopefully be inspired by it. And, uh, but that's a way people can help is, is by going to my website, uh, clicking that link that will take them to, uh, to a nonprofit's uh, website where they can go donate. And then those books specifically uh, go to kids in foster care and the organizations that serve them. What's the, what's the name of the website again? RobertPKMooney.com. So just my name, RobertPKMooney.com. Um, and on that website, there'll be, uh, you know, about donating a book, donating okay. copies of a Foster Kids Road to Success. You can donate as many as you want. I've got people who will donate one book at a time. I love that. That's amazing. And then I've got people who will donate a couple hundred books at a time. Also amazing. Anything helps. Anything's appreciated. Uh, and uh, and it's it's been a great pleasure to work with with the, with donors. What I actually do is, is I don't have to do this necessarily, but I think it's really nice to have a full circle uh, closed up. Every book will have a, a book type put in the front that says this book's been donated um, to you by this person, if, they, if they're willing to be identified. But I, I, I ask them to be able to say, hey, let me tell you who's giving this book and where they're from. So that if a kid opens a book and says and sees it, they know that somebody in Houston, Texas, cared enough about them to buy that book and get it in their hands. And then what I do afterwards is I tell the donors after their books have been shipped out, the ones that had their book plates in it, I'll reach out and say, hey, I really, really appreciate your support. I just want you to know your books went to, you know, this group in, in Tennessee and also to a foster kid. I don't identify names for privacy reasons and that's sort of right. Uh -huh. um, uh, a teenager uh, in Denver, Colorado. Uh, and so they know that there's it's actually in people's hands uh, mm -hmm. and making a difference and they really appreciate that the donors do and so I, I do that as well 
um, just to kind of create that full circle as, as these people have given of their means to go and try to help people's lives. I try to give, give back to let them know it's out there. It's out there and it's in kids' hands. I'm definitely going to put your website in the description um, there so uh, that helped you out. Um, so in closing remarks, um, what, what would you like to let everybody know in reference to um, your, your calling? I mean, and, and, and the, the process of, or, or not the process, but aging out of foster care. I mean, what would you like to leave with everybody? You know, here's, here's an interesting thing that I, I wasn't going to say, I think, uh, when, we, when we started, but I think I feel, feel like I'm going to change it up just a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that is um, everyone can do something that you can lift where, where you stand and there's things that you can do. Uh, donating books, that's, that's great. But for any of your listeners who've thought about going into foster care and, and possibly uh, opening their hearts and their homes to, to, to kids, you're going to get a form, right? And they're going to say, hey, what kind of kids are you willing to take into your home? And we got that when my wife and I were, were becoming licensed foster parents. And as we're going through that form, you know, it's like ooh, kids that are physically abused and now they're physically reactive. Uh, it's a little scary. I don't know that I'm able to deal with that. Kids with substance abuse issues. Uh, I'm not sure if I can, if I can, if I can do that in my home. And so they're thinking, all right, I just want these little babies who aren't, aren't, uh, aren't as traumatized going through that list. Kids with mental health issues, kids with school issues, kids who are sexually reactive, kids that are sexually active. And as my wife was going through this and she was thinking with our young family, what, what would I be willing to bring into my home? She's like, I don't think I can do this. I, can, I don't think I can do this. And she kind of went down that list. And I said to her, when it was all said and done, uh, and she was still, had filled out the form, I said, hey, honey, I will do whatever you want to do. We're going to do, we're going to do that. Cause I'm just grateful that you're willing to foster kids. Um, and we'll do whatever you, I want you to know by checking those boxes of what you wouldn't be willing to take into your home. You would have disqualified yourself from having me. Wow. And so just because these kids have these backgrounds and these traumas and these physically acting out, sexually, acting, all these different things, that doesn't mean they don't have an amazing potential. And so I want, I want the people who, who are willing to open their hearts how to open your hearts to teens. They, they, they may be battered, maybe broken and bruised, but I promise you inside there, there's a future lawyer, future author, a future husband, a future wife, a future mother, future father. There is immense potential uh, in these kids that you can help unlock. And so for those of you who are thinking about uh, fostering, please open your heart, open your home, say yes, uh, and let your faith overcome any fears you might have. Roger that. Well, we just want to thank you, Robert, for coming on. We appreciate your insight. We, we thank you for all you do, especially the last remarks. It was very, uh, very heart touching. And, um, you know, it's all about giving someone a chance. Also, those that are out there, adoptees, foster care kids, those that are aging out and those that are still in the system, just want to let you know there's a book out here and we're trying to get it in your hands. These six steps can help you. You know, you're looking at two foster kids that came out of the system. You're looking at them right now on this podcast. And um, if we can do it, you can do it. So that being said, just want to leave you with the thought that we always try to leave with individual foster care adoptees. You're strong. 
You're powerful. Don't let no one tell you that you can't do anything because you can be all you can be as the army used to say back in the day. So with that being said, till next time, take care, be safe, and we'll see you next time. Peace.